0: take your Bible and let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We are now uh, coming to uh, Solomon's stated conclusion of this uh, book of wisdom. It's a three-part conclusion, and today we'll look at the first part. It's simply chapter 11, verses uh, 1 to 6, as Jonathan has read earlier. And uh, I'm wondering this, I've been thinking in days gone by, some of you have been in and out and missed But uh, I would be willing, if you want, as a collection, there'll be maybe 13 or 14 different total messages from this book. We can get those ready and staple those for you, and you can easily catalog those and put those in your library if you'd want that. And uh, how many would be interested? Maybe you keep yours and write notes and you're not interested. How many would be interested in something like that? Raise your hand if you... Hold it up so I can just kind of get an idea maybe 20 or 30. Okay, all right. We can, we can do that. All right, well today, how do we live in, a, in an uncertain world? Ecclesiastes chapter 11. One of the great uh, expressions of the novelist, I think it was Dickens who said, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Uh, and isn't that true? We live in an uncertain world. How do we live in it? Life is unpredictable. It's mysterious. It's iffy, the uh, the hillbilly once said. Life is iffy. Iffy. It is, isn't it? Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing's certain. The only thing that's guaranteed is that it's filled with uncertainty, for sure. We don't know uh, what will happen from one minute to the next. We have an idea. We make our plans, and we ought to. God has a great plan. It includes all things. And we're never more like God than when we plan, and we ought to have a plan. But uh, it's iffy, isn't it? No, no. It's mystery in the divine, in God's ways. Wow. Life is uh, filled with uh, uncertainty. Just think back in your own life. Surprises, right? Wow, I didn't know was gonna, that was going to happen. Wow. Sometimes it's for bad, right? Sometimes it's for good. <laughs> You like those, don't we? We all like those. We go, wow, okay, (laughs) bring it on. But how about the other ones, the phone calls, the bad message, the terrible stuff? We go like, oh, Lord, I don't know how I can go on. Well, How do we respond to the uncertainties? How do you respond to the phone calls and to the reports and messages and stuff that happens, the difficulties, the hurts, the pains of life in light of God's providence? Remember, providence is god 's rulership of the world that is the Bible teaches that from one cover to the from one cover to the other, and even the maps God is in charge he 's in control of all things, all things. this is his world and he 's bringing about his great purpose it 's his great story. The great novelist is not only Dickens or uh, some of the American novelists but it is the Lord himself, and he 's writing in detail the story of redemption, the glory of God. And it involves you and it involves me and all the, all the particulars. He just doesn't wind us up and let us go like a child's toy. There it is, where it ends. Who knows? That's not life according to the Scriptures in this fallen world. Well, Solomon has been teaching us that uh, apart from the Lord, life is empty. Have you found that to be true? Some of you may not know Christ the Lord as your Savior today. You need to personally bow your head and heart, agreeing with God that you have sinned, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You do that in a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Based upon your word, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying in my place. That's what it is, salvation. He was the substitute, the sin substitute. It pleased God to bruise him, according to Isaiah 53. Lay upon him the iniquity, our sin of us all. Solomon has been telling us through this great book of his that life apart from the Lord is empty. It's meaningless. Meaningless. And that's the word, the Hebrew word, habel. It means breath. Could there be anything less meaningful than a ha? Exhale, breath of air, there it goes. That's life apart from Christ. Oh, I urge you to receive him as your Savior, whether you're a young child or older, all the way through. It is the most important thing you do in life, more than your career, more than if you get married, who you marry, where you're going to live, and all the rest Have you received Christ. Jesus said you must be born again. Well, furthermore, Solomon has reminded us that God rules over all. He rules. It's not President Bush. It's not going to be McCain or Obama. Thank the Lord for that. It's God. He reigns over all. The little kids, when they sing that, our God reigns, they're looking outside wondering if it's raining, you know. <laughs> Spelled a little different. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and Solomon has taught us that. He reigns with certitude. Absolutely, His reign may be filled with mystery, and it is. But he reigns supreme and in control of all things. Solomon has told us that, even in the details. The closer you look at what God has done, the more amazed you will be. If you look at outer space, the closer you look at that, the more amazed and awestruck you will be. You look under a microscope, the closer you look at what was thought to be the simple cell, is anything but that. It's utterly complex, more complex than the vastest urban centers in the world, all that goes on. And there are millions of cells like that in your body and mind. The closer you look, the more amazed you will be. The closer you look at God's Word, the more amazed you will be. You know, it's just, I say it over and over, it's just the opposite of our life. The closer you look, oh my. Right? Right? Faith had me doing a project this last week, uh, paint the kitchen, hadn't, hadn't had a facelift in 18 years, paint the thing, and, and uh, you know, I enjoy that, it's relaxing, so Friday I painted what, 11 hours or something, felt it all day Saturday, my body ached in places, right? And it looks pretty good, don't look too close, don't look too close You'll see where I got it, where it shouldn't be, and all that. The closer you are, and please, no magnifying glasses. God is just the opposite. But the closer you look, the more amazed you will be. He, even in the details, God controls all things. Well, so how do we do it? How do we live in this grossly uncertain world of ours? How do we do it? Well, he's going to tell us how to do it in our six verses today in the beginning of his conclusion of this, which I think is one sermon, the book of Ecclesiastes. And there are, in verses 1 to 6, two groups of Proverbs teaching us to live with gusto, gusto, in a world that's filled with uncertainty. Gusto. What's it, what do we mean? Look at the byline. We are to live boldly. You are to live boldly and with confidence, in the face of the many, many uncertainties of life. Vitality, gusto, confidence. Why? In the midst of an uncertain world, we have a God who is certain. And that's how we do it. He's our anchor. He's our everything. We're not adrift at sea without an anchor, without a mooring. He is our mooring. Amid the seas and the crashing of the waves and the and the clouds and the and all the weather, and boy, it blows in and it blows out, doesn't it? We can live with boldness, with gusto, in a world of uncertainty because of the certitude of our God. There are two groups. If you, as Jonathan read verses one to six, it's filled with a number of concluding proverbs, similar to the Book of Proverbs. Proverbs, a pithy little wisdom saying. It's a gold nugget of truth, if you will. Your mother had those, didn't she, when you were growing up? All kinds of things about tattling and telling the truth and being honest. And I can think of Proverbs was like that, written by the inspiration of God's Spirit. Solomon wrote many of them, but here are six of them. Well, let's look at the first group of these Proverbs, teaching us to live with gusto in a world of gross uncertainty. Verses 1 and 2, let's just reread 1 and 2. Cast your bread on the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. The first group of Proverbs uh, uh, teaching us to live with gusto is really this, we must live fearlessly and with wholeheartedness, even though we have no guarantee of any success. No guarantee. No guarantee. We don't know. But we're to live with gusto, fearlessly. I don't know what that conjures up in your mind, the idea of fearless. We're often timid and afraid, aren't we? And sheep are kind of stupid and dumb and fearful, and that's what we are. But we're not to be that way. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Be bold, be stout-hearted, be wholehearted, be... Put your whole self into to this thing called life. Even though you don't have any guarantee of success, that that venture or that activity or that will, will result in what you were hoping for. We must not hide. Although at times we feel like hiding, don't we? Oh, it's dangerous out there. I'm going to stay indoors. I'm going to hide. We get that way sometimes. We get beat up. We go nine rounds and we're bludgeoned, Right? You know, I, I know what I'm, I'm going to stay in the basement. And that's when something drops from an airplane right through your roof, right through the floor, into the basement. You can't hide. We feel like it. Nor simply do we wait to die. You know, I've met a lot of folks, even Christians. I'm sorry to tell you this. They're so beat up and bludgeoned and faint of heart, they go, they're just sitting around on the bench waiting to die. It's, it, don't be like that. Right? When today's gone, it's gone. And tomorrow when it's gone, it's gone. I mean, you don't get it at the end, right? It's not like you're laying in a hospital bed and say, Lord, remember those, those months and even those years I wasted it? Can I have those back now? Kind of, kind of, kind of pray like Hezekiah and get those. <laughs> no way, you don't get it. Go for it, God says. He, he wants us to enjoy life. It's been that reoccurring chorus throughout this book. Enjoy life, enjoy your wife. Work hard. Enjoy the blessing of God. Go for it. Yeah, there's trouble. Yeah, there's sorrow. Yeah, you can't figure out the mystery of God. Yes, there's no guarantee of success. I may fail. Well, you may, but you may succeed. And God may bless you in His providence far above anything that you were even thinking. That's what God said. That's how we live life in this world that's filled with uncertainty. Don't hide. Go for it. Well, Solomon tells us in verse 1, to cast our bread upon the waters. He's not down at the duck barn throwing out his lunch that he didn't want to eat. That's not the idea here. This is an old expression. It comes from the ancient day. And it refers to uh, international commerce, if you will, or business. It refers to putting your uh, hard-earned grain uh, on some sort of merchant vessel and uh, packing it up and sending it off to sea with the hopes of gaining a benefit, a profit, a return from your grain. Cast your bread on the water. It's risky to do that, right? It's, it can be often very dangerous. How can it be dangerous to do that? You know, You worked and worked and worked. Finally, harvest time came. You sweat and you got it in. You load it up and you put it on a ship. How's it dangerous? Well, sh- shipwrecks at sea. There it goes. There goes a whole year's worth of work, a whole seasonal year, down to the bottom uh, Davy Jones locker. It sinks. Dangerous. Storms come up, right? And then beyond that, if that weren't enough, you got uh, pirates. We're not talking about Pittsburgh, but pirates, right? Come and commandeer the ship. And we have to eat, too, so we're going to take it over, right? We have a problem even today with uh, pirates off the uh, uh, eastern coast of Africa uh, commandeering a lot of ships and uh, taking food stocks that are going for those that really need it. And they're stealing it. And how about unscrupulous brokers? Yeah, give me the grain, I'll sell it for you. And then they never return again. They pocket the money. It's risky. Life is risky. Have you noticed that? There's no guarantees. It's risky. You know, you could say like the farmer and two, well, I'm not going to do that. I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pile it up and keep it all to myself. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that because I don't want to lose control. That's a myth. But we have this idea that somehow we control this little thing in my backyard or whatever. I'll keep it all. I'll make bread myself. We'll bagels one day. Then I'll roll out pizza, and then we're going to have uh, Philadelphia hoagies and cheesesteaks, right? Everybody's nodding, like, oh, my, why is he doing that? I'm hungry now. <laughs> roll out some cinnamon with the, you know, that white oozy stuff on top. Oh, that's so good, that glazing. You got to have coffee with that. Yeah, I'll keep it myself. I'm not going to cast it on the water. And if you do that, right, that's, that's all you get. That's it. There's no return. There's no return. That's it. If you live scared, that's all you get. Don't live scared. There's a lot of reasons to be afraid. Of course. There's danger in them thar hills. Remember that cartoon strip? Danger out there. There is. Don't walk around saying, I don't see any danger. Nope, 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 nope. I don't see it. No, it's out there. It's a fallen world. Trouble. It's there. It's there. It'll find you from time to time. It'll bite you. It will. Say, Don't live scared. God is in control. Go forward. Venture out. Live with gusto, even though you have no guarantee of of the outcome. No guarantee. None. Look, three, he tells us, be bold. Take a risk. Even though you don't have any guarantee of success, for after a while, the prophet just may come back. But no guarantees. I remind you of Jesus' rebuke. Remember that the talents that were given out? And the man that was given a talent, uh, two of them, they invested him and they got a good return for that. And the one, I was afraid, so I hid it. I buried it. I knew that you were a certain type of Lord and master, so I kept it buried. And the Lord what? The Lord rebuked him. He rebuked him. And then he took it away from him and gave it to the other, had the most. We are to live with gusto in a world that is dangerous and filled with uh, uh, no guarantees. That's how we're to live. Why? Because we recognize that our God is in charge, and he's bringing about his purposes, whether we can see it or not. And uh, as I venture out, and as you venture out boldly, God is going to do something. Now, it may surprise me utterly what he does, I wasn't thinking this. I wasn't thinking that. But we're not to hide. We're not to sit around on the bench waiting to die. Lord, take me now, you know? Don't do that. Resist that. Live boldly. Let the chips fall where they may. Live fearlessly in a life that you cannot hardly ever control. Don't hide the talent. Control. I've done many weddings. I've had the joy of doing them. They're a great time. With the couples as we spend months in, in pre-marriage counseling and, and then the wedding, and it makes me laugh at times. With a wedding, usually the mama and the bride have it all scripted out. My daughter was like that. Boy, did she have it down to the detail. I thought she was the pastor, telling that, that everything here and there and all that. I got to tell you, I've seen even with the script, and we're gonna we're gonna lay this thing out. It's gonna be like. We're going to outdo Princess Di's wedding. Remember that? Some of you stayed up all night and watched that crazy thing. <laughs> and I have seen weddings that were fully scripted out. And once you bring children in, how about Art Linkletter, Kids, right? And somebody just, oh, my little, my little cousin, my little nephew, Johnny's got to be the ring bearer. And little Susie's got to be, sorry, Susie. Susie's got to be the flower girl. And they just bring the house down because you cannot control them. And this whole big affair, and the kids are wandering off and saying, and you know, Johnny's got his finger in places he shouldn't, and, and all kinds of things. And, and parents and grandparents are horrified, and the bride and groom, maybe they are, but they shouldn't care less. you know. I've seen the whole thing come. I've seen weddings where the bridal party has fainted. That, that's really been interesting right up front. In fact, I was in a wedding where the girl I was supposed to walk out with fainted out front. It was so hot. My roommate, uh, Chuck, got married, and I thought, like, what am I supposed to do? She's still on the ground. (laughs) They're doing the wedding, and you know, they do the Great Recessional. I don't know. I sort of stepped around her and took the next girl and went out. (laughs) The whole thing was, I mean, the rehearsal, I mean, it was, man, it was like, West Point in detail, but you know what? Life's like that, isn't it? You can script it. You can lay it out. I'm telling you, there are no guarantees. There are none. That's life in the world in which we live. That's the world I live in, anyway, and I'm sure you do, too. Well, how do we do it, then? What? Well, look at verse 2. He he adds to the proverb of once. Solomon further tells us to be bold, but more than that, be smart. Be wise. Look what he said. Give portions to seven, yes to eight for you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. So he tells us here, be smart in our activity. Since we cannot control much and do not know the future, spread the risk out. Spread it out. Give to seven, eight to eight. Now he's not saying specifically seven, it's a proverb. Give it out to as many as you can. Now what he's probably referring to in that ancient day is, is he's saying, make friends with, uh, with your means. Make friends. Rather than because of trouble that may come and everything else, don't be a miser. Don't hold it in. All oh, trouble out there, I'm going to keep it all to myself. Do just the opposite. Uh, take uh, what you have and, and be generous. You're know, scattering it on the water. Be generous because when disaster comes, and it will. And it does, doesn't it? There'll be friends that you have made that will will welcome you, that will come along and help you. You've made friends with that. That's the way we get on in this world that is filled with gross uncertainty. Well, and today, you know, uh, we might say it's like mutual funds, right, Greg? It's like spread it out. You put all your eggs in one basket, and that's the expression we would say today of the proverb. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because if it goes bust, you're in big problems. My dear father-in-law made a lot of money in the stocks back in the uh, late '70s and '80s, right there, somewhere on then. And uh, with Commodore Computer, you ever hear of that Commodore Computer? You used to get that through the mail, and unbelievable. You know, they said that the uh, the Apollo spaceship that went to the moon was powered by something that was like a Commodore 64 computer. Now, that is a scary thought. (laughs) That is a scary thought. Would you like to be going around 225,000 miles from home in outer space? I mean, it's hostile with a little, I mean, if you have one of those Nintendo things, you were way ahead of what they took and depended on. Well, Pop invested in that, and the thing went through the moon, I mean, in the early days. And did very well. Well, and God blessed him with that, and he used a lot of it and the supported them. But, but he stayed with it too long, and he was invested in that. And what goes up, goes down, and and, and really lost the great uh, lost all the stock that he had at that point. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Spread it out. That's what a mutual fund does. Some of you have retirement uh, plans, and they'll say spread it out. Some of these dear folks at Enron, our hearts go out to them. They, in their company retirement, they had all of their future tied up in Enron stock. And when it went belly up, they lost everything. You read those stories and those poor folks. Spread it out. Don't put all your, your eggs in one basket. So what is he saying? Look at number one. Don't just be bold and reckless. Say, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to live with gusto. Use your head. Don't be stupid. Step out there and go into the wind, but do it with some smarts and some common sense. Be wise in the way you live. Find a balance. Don't your boldness make you foolish. It will. Be careful. Be careful about that. And so he teaches us the principle of diversification. Life is full of surprises. It is. Paul's a great illustration of this, isn't he? Paul writes that he wanted to get to Rome. He wasn't sightseeing. He didn't want to go see, you know, Caesar or or any of that. I got to go see the Colosseum. It wasn't built yet. And all these kind of things that we go to Rome. You guys were just in Rome. What a great, great opportunity that was. But um, he wanted to go to Rome to take the gospel to the center of the empire at that day. He wanted to go. He writes about it. He yearned for it. When he wrote to the Romans, he hadn't been there yet. He wanted to go. Well, God honored that. God honored that. Do you know how he went? This is how he went. There was a riot in Jerusalem. He was almost killed. A riot over the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a terrible thing. He was arrested. Taken the, to the coastal city of Caesarea. Put in jail. Kind of a holding tank for about two years. In jail. He's now he's en route to Rome. He wanted to get there. He had no idea. God had some surprises for him along the way. Well, then finally the ship came and uh, didn't even have to pay because Rome was going to pay for his passage. (laughs) He was going to make his case before Caesar uh, Caesar because he appealed to Caesar. And en route, don't you know, the ship wrecks and sinks. How about that? Can you swim, Paul? It crashes and uh, they all survive. He's on Malta while he's there. He has a ministry. But he gets bitten by a snake along the way. Paul said, I didn't see that coming. I just wanted to go to Rome. And finally, he makes it to Rome and he ministers the gospel and testifies of the Lord Jesus to Caesar and to his household. I'm saying to you, what a trip! What a trip! Sometimes we use that expression. What a trip! You know, that's a little thing of life. You know, we're headed to heaven. If you know Christ the Lord is your Savior, you're headed to heaven. And the best is yet to come. You, you ain't seen nothing yet. That was not the English major who said that. But there are surprises along the way. I'm telling you. And every one of us are on a little different journey. And we're going to get there. But the Lord is writing a story that His glory and to His praise and there's no guarantees as to how it's all going to turn out. Some of you are going to get there sooner. You're going to take, you ever play shoots and ladders? There's some ladders here, and you're walking on feeling pretty good. And the lad, you're, going, you're going up real fast. And some of you, you're going to be around for a long time. Hit the lights. Last guy to leave, right? Now, we hope that the Lord causes this church to go forward for testimony until the Lord comes. That's our prayer. But uh, there are surprises, and uh, here's the point. On your sheet I have it. Jesus is going to get you to his destination, but en route, he's going to make sure you go through things that force you and force me to trust him, to grow up in him. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. That will be your song. But there are surprises. We must live fearlessly. We must live with all of our being in Today. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. Live it to the fullest. Live it with zest. There should never be such a thing as a boring Christian. You have to live with spirit, even under the Lord. They that have the Son have life, and they have it more abundantly, John 10, 10. Now I really live, Paul says. I really live. And that's the way we ought to be. And that will, in itself, provide such a dramatic contrast to your neighbors and to your friends that they'll say what's up with you i don't get it you just always sort of humming and singing and joyful and optimistic and it will provide a tremendous opportunity for you to tell of the lord jesus christ and what he's done in your life and how the best is yet to come and they can jump on the gospel ship too and, and end up in glory I'm telling you, there's no better way to live, even as our bodies get older. Have you noticed? They're sagging a bit. Joints don't work quite as well. I can't hear too well anymore, but if faith looks at me, I can read lips. I'm getting better at that. That's her big hope. I can't see very well either, and the hair's getting thinner, but I tell my boys, you can't grow brains and hair at the same time. All kinds of exciting things, but the best is yet to come telling you, it is. And the Proverbs here teach us that. Well, the second group of Proverbs teaching us to live with gusto in this world of uncertainty, because we have the certitude of our God, is this, verses 3 to 6, we must engage life with zeal, knowing that it seldom gives us perfect conditions. 3 to 6, look what he says. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of wind or how the body is formed in the womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So sow your seed in the morning and at evening. Don't let your hands be idle. Or you do not know which will succeed, whether this or whether that, or whether both will do equally well. You see, we must engage life with zeal, knowing that it almost never gives us perfect conditions. That's the way it is. It is. Solomon tells us that we are unable to fully anticipate or prevent or change so much of what happens in life, you couldn't anticipate it. Say, so I'm going to get up. I'm going to get a business plan. I'm going to anticipate all the contingency. Forget it. Impossible. And uh, if you think you can, God will throw some curveballs and some some uh, some sliders in there, and you'll say just to humble you, to let you realize our dependencies on Him, not on us and our ability. Do the best you can. Have a plan. Think it through. But there are things that happen that you and I could never anticipate. Never could we do that or prevent or change once they happen. And he uses uh, nature. He says in verse 3, we see the clouds. Here it is. The clouds are full of water. That's the weather. We don't know if it's going to rain here or there. We don't know. Have you noticed that the weatherman's not infallible? Have you planned a picnic and they said it's going to be beautiful and they found out you ought to fire the weatherman? It rains? I mean, they don't know. They would make good educated guesses. They have some good equipment, satellite and all that, but God has some surprises. He's in charge of that. And sometimes when it rains, the, the rain is wasted, right? It falls on the oceans, like the oceans need water, right? or lakes, or rivers. But sometimes it falls on soil that is looking to grow a crop, and it produces something. The rain, the clouds, God's in charge of it. He's in control of it. And then second, the, the strong wind knocks down a tree. This is a, a row of trees that evidently is on a borderline of a property, and the wind blows in and knocks it down. And it falls on one property or the neighbor's property. And at least someone's going to be able to cut it up for firewood. But the God's in charge of that as well. Does it fall to the north? Does it fall to the south? Who can say? And God takes care of that. It's His. And yes, somebody profits from it. One of the owners of the property. And then a third, the wind blows, but we don't know where it'll go. He's talking about that. We don't know. From one moment to the other, low pressure, high pressure, and they try and balance out, and the westerly winds and all that. What's all this mean? He said, listen, don't wait for the perfect conditions before you venture out. Some of you want to line up all your ducks and wait till the sun is shining and the blue sky and, okay, at this very second, it's perfect. I'll take my first step. He said, forget it. If you do that, your life is going to pass you by. Venture out. Venture out. Realize that the perfect conditions for whatever it is, if it does happen, it's only momentary and it's crossing over because something else is going to come up on the horizon. Don't wait. Don't convince yourself to wait for the perfect time, the perfect external conditions. God is in charge. Venture out. He is sovereign. Live boldly. Live courageously. Live fearlessly as you and I serve the Lord in the calling and vocation and life in your family and even us as a church. Venture out. Don't live trying not to die. Don't do it. There's a family that, uh, one of the boys in the family uh, had a a severe disease. And... uh, the parents very wisely raised that boy uh, as if he were normal in every way. They, You see, they didn't want to treat him as if he had some sort of handicap. Uh, the mother said to the healthy son, his brother, one day, listen, we don't want to live avoiding death. We don't want him doing that. We want him to live his life, whether it's this long or that long, in every bit of fullness that he can. And if... God should take him home at this point, so be it. We're not going to run around and live as if we're going to prevent him from dying. God's in charge of that. Let him live his life. And if God should take him when he's 26, then so be it. That's wise wisdom. That's what he's saying here. We're all terminal. We're all going to die. Don't wait for the perfect conditions in your life, in your family, in your business, in us as a church. As a church family, we have a a mission here in the Harrisburg area to impact this area for the gospel of Christ. We're to be making inroads and relationships in the hearts and lives of people, and we want to try all sorts of things. We tried Jubilee Day, and uh, planted the seed. You didn't say, well, let's just wait for the perfect conditions and then we'll venture. No, try this and let's try that. And we do this with our youth group and we have this with our small groups and we do this and and we're trying all sorts of things as a church. Say, well, just got to have the perfect conditions. Impossible. In your own life, you see, you may say, well, I want to make a job change. I know, Janice, you talked about your job and making a change. and Well, when is the perfect time? I mean, does God have to hit us in the head with a tack hammer? I got the message. I should do it now. No. If God has put it in your heart, and, and then, then go for it in, in, in your work or starting a business. Go for it. Live boldly. Live courageously. There's no perfect time. That's what he's saying. I remember seeing that so many times in Indiana. We were out there and church planted and lived there nine and a half years to see the farmers. I often think of that, the farmer looking at the uh, clouds and the wind and saying, well, mm, you know, it may rain today. It may rain, I don't think I'll bring in the harvest. I'll let the beans stay out there. No, they're out there laboring away, bringing in the beans. You don't want rain when you're bringing the beans in. Uh, It'll mess it up, mess the fields up, muddy mess, and... You have too much moisture in the bean. They measure the moisture count when you take it to the granary of how much moisture is in the bean. You get docked, you get less money for your weight because it's water weight. They want it as dry as can be. Well, they don't sit around waiting until there's not a cloud in the sky. They get out there and it's surprising. They're able to get six or eight hours before it finally rains. Don't look at that, don't wait for the perfect conditions. And if that happens, it's only momentary, and it crosses over, and they're gone. Don't do that. Don't. Sowing, the sewing in, in, in our verse refers to our work. Do it now. Don't be a part of the frozen chosen. Frozen, like you're in Buffalo six months of the year. Frozen up there. Quebec City, too. That's even worse, I bet, right, Tim? A little bit, a little bit yeah. There you go. All right. Too many Christians freeze because they suffer from the paralysis of analysis. I just got to think it through some more. Give me a break. You beat the thing to death. Fifty-five contingencies, and it leads to paralysis. Right? We don't do. We don't don't end up doing anything, and we just. A church can do that in reaching an area. We can do that in life, can't we? Some of you are thinking, well, maybe I ought to go to college. <gasps> I may fail. Yeah, here's the here's the bet. You may fail. You may. You may. Some are some of you are saying say, like, I'd like to be married, but you know, a lot of marriages end in divorce. I guess it may end in divorce. Some of you have uh uh you know, you're married, so, well, should we have children? Oh, it's a terrible world to bring children into. They could end up with some terrible congenital birth defects. Oh, terrible. You know, we beat the thing to death through uh, analyzing. God says, don't do that. Live with zest. Trust me. Go forward. You know, you have no guarantee of the outcome, and there are seldom perfect conditions. Go for it. Live. Go for it. I remember when Faithy and I left Buffalo, left my father's business after a couple of years, loved the time with my dad and, and all that, and uh, my dad was not saved. And God had put my heart to want to, to, to be a, a, a pastor. And I knew that I needed to spend years in graduate school. And so I went to Grace Seminary in Indiana. And uh, we had bought a home. And Joe, it often reminds me so much of Jordan. And uh, I talked to my father about it. He was heartbroken. He was just overwhelmed. He was brokenhearted. He said, it shouldn't be this way. So I not stay near to his father, blah, blah, blah. Well, he, he wasn't safe, so he, you know, he'd never gone to church really. And I remember uh, we we had, we we took a pre trip out to Grace, and we we loved it. But there were so many students out there, the whole community. There was no housing. We thought, like, what are we going to do? We had just bought a house. We just had a baby, just months old, and. Uh, and we said what are we going to do in this thing you know so we went out there we wanted to look at the school meet with the faculty administration find housing we loved everything but we drove back and we couldn't find a place to live and uh and so my uh father's want to know how it went and these are like these are like 3 or 4 months right before we it was march you know and uh so my dad said, me, are, are you really going to do this? And I said, uh, yeah, Dad. I said, Dad, I know you can't appreciate it, but God has really put in my heart. I, I just love his word, and I just want to shepherd and teach the scriptures. And uh, he said, well, let, let, me, let me, and my father, very practical, and, that, you know, that, and that's good, right? And he said, well, let, 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 me, let, me, let me picture this now. He said, you and Faith are going to go, and you just have a baby, and she's just a couple months. I said, yeah. Where are you going to live? I said, Dad, I really don't know. Um, Where where are you going to work? I said, "Mm, I don't, we don't know that either yet. And you have your house here, it hasn't sold yet? I said, no, it hasn't. And he looked at me, he took a step back, he said, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget that look on his face, being utterly practical, engineering by training. He thought, I lost my Noodle. And uh, I just said, Dad, you know, um, God's going to lead us. He's going to take care of us. He's put it in, us, in our heart. I don't know where it's going to end up, but uh, we're excited. We're excited. I, I don't know if I'm going to flunk out. And I did that first year studying my advanced Greek and, and uh, elements of Hebrew. And so I thought, like, this is, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, Boy, that would be a disaster. You know, it's risky business. Because you go there and say, oh, yeah, that's to He bombed out, you know. He couldn't, yeah, he's folding toilet paper somewhere. So, you know, I don't know, you know. you got the embarrassment with that. You know, the whole thing, you're hanging out there. And your wife, yeah, I married a bum. You know, the whole thing is there. You're just hanging out there. There's no guarantee of success and no perfect condition. And I'm here to say the Lord led us one step after another, after another, after another. And after all those years there, we're so, so content and God had so blessed. I was 20 pounds overweight. We had eaten way too much. I just said, look how God's so good. I I need a bigger belt, you know. I mean, we were wondering what we were going to eat and we never slept outside. And we've learned so much about the Lord and isn't that wonderful. And that uh, really... Is what he's teaching us here. And so B, look at never forget, verse five, how little you really know. Never forget. We get all puffed up. I'm educated. I've got advanced degrees. I'm a professional. Forget it. You and I know something the size of a postage stamp. You know that's what a PhD is? He's an expert in something the size of a postage stamp. That's it. Yeah. Never forget how little you and I really know. And in fact, I've marked in my Bible verse 2, verse 5, and verse 6. He says it three times. You do not know, verse 2, verse 5. You do not know, verse 6. You do not know. And if you didn't get it enough, go back to verse 5. He puts it in different words. You can't understand. I think I'm getting the message here. (laughs) I don't know very much. Name, rank, and serial number. Don't you love the book that says all I ever needed to learn, I learned before I went to kindergarten? Don't hit your neighbor, tie your shoe, these are your colors, count the ten, all these things, right? We don't know very much. Now, use every bit you got and then some. Do it before you lose it, (laughs) and you're worse than where you are now, but don't ever forget. Don't think that you can begin to know what God is doing. You can. That's what he's saying, verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so, you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Wow. There's mystery in the ways of God. Therefore, sow your seed. Work, he's saying, in the morning and at evening. Be busy, be active with zest and vitality. For you do not know, here it is again, which will succeed, this or that, or whether both will do well. You don't know. You can't know. You can't. Wow. Of course, as a disclaimer, we do know the big picture, don't we? We know what God is up to. He's calling out a people for himself that will inhabit his praises and join together with his son forever and ever in heaven. We know the big picture. It's the details that we're completely stumbling about in the dark. We're clueless to the details. God's great novel. Try as you may, you and I cannot put it together. You cannot and I cannot. It is beyond us. It is utterly beyond us. Well, see, so don't withdraw from life. Don't do it. You may feel like it, and some days you feel, like I'm packing it in. I've had a lot of days like that, and so have you. Don't pack it in. Live it to the fullest. If the Lord has put something in your heart, then do it. Don't beat it to death through the analysis in which you become paralyzed. Don't do it. Now, he's not talking about immorality. Obviously. Now, here's a way to think about it, okay? There are decisions. We live in God's moral universe. There are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong, right and wrong. He's not talking about that. That's a no-brainer. Don't do the wrong, do the right, all right? But he's talking about other type decisions. They're called not right and wrong, but right and left. That is you, as you and I go along in life, do I go right or do I go left? They're non-moral decisions. And if God has put it into your heart to make a right-hand turn, make the right-hand turn and do it with zest and zeal and care and deliverance. And vitality, and boldness, and confidence. Do it. Do it. Do it is what he's saying. Go for it. You cannot know whether God will bless it or not, or he'll bless... Uh, All the activities. And so one, Tommy Nelson says, play within the rules. I like that. Within God's moral universe, play within the rules, but don't always play it safe. Make the right, make the left. Let God use you and stretch you and grow you. He can do that, you know. I reminded a day when God fed thousands of people in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ with bread that never grew on any uh, field, never did. And they ate bread like they had never eaten before. God's able to do that, you know. He multiplied fish and never swam in any Sea of Galilee. How can He do it? Well, he's God. He creates ex nihilo from nothing. And God's able to honor you and bless you if God puts something in your heart and it's a left or a right decision, right? I'm going to go left at the corner. I'm going to go in this direction. Maybe a job change. Maybe uh, maybe I'm going to go to the university. Maybe graduate school. Maybe I'm... Um, I'll uh, move into marriage. And maybe God will just fill that with fullness and blessing and overwhelming. That's how you live life in the fallen world. That's how you do it. Go for it. You can't know whether He'll bless it or not. Verse six try many different things, don't live in fear. Give yourself every chance to succeed. Go for it. Go for it. And Let me say along that line, because sometimes you, you, we have a tendency of doing this. Don't turn everything into some sort of mystical, spiritual, woo, you, know, you need that weird music uh, type of decision. okay? Don't turn, you know, Lord, do you want me to have a hamburger for lunch? you know, or a cheesesteak. Let me pray about this. You, you don't need to pray about it, okay? In the Garden of Eden, when, uh, and, and when God said to him, listen, you can have it all, all the fruit, except this. They didn't have to pray about, Lord, should I eat pear today? How about the peaches? Don't waste my time. I said, go for it, okay? Go for it. Don't turn everything into a mystical decision about what you feel God wants you to do. If it is a right or a left decision, pray about it. Yes, Lord, may you favor, bless, and lead. And then boldly follow your heart. Go for it. Okay? The purpose, and I remind you, of the sovereignty of God is not to cause you to lean on your shovel, praying for a hole. (laughs) Some people are really super spiritual. Let's pray about this. God will provide. No. You must venture out boldly and let the sovereignty of God be your comfort and not your excuse. Go for it. Go for it. That's what he's telling us. Now, I made a list of some of the things that uh, in my life, as I just think back, and things that were risky, and uh, yet I just stepped out. Maybe it was before uh, I knew faith and then after. Just some of the things that it caused me a chance. Uh, I saw the sermon before the rest of you did. So I was able to think about some of these things in advance. I remember when I was a sophomore in a very huge high school, I played little hoop football for a lot of years. I love football and wrestling, but football. But we were always in little hoop. You played in the weight division. When I was a sophomore, they threw us in with uh, these uh, guys that were enormous and guys that uh, I remember Dennis Mazer weighed 320 pounds. He's about six foot four. And I thought if he ever hit me in the middle of the field, there'd be body parts everywhere. (laughs) But I determined that uh, I was going to give it all, and if I died out there, that was it. And didn't know what the outcome of that would be, but God let me make the varsity team and even one of two sophomores to let her. I look back and I go like, wow, I could have been body parts. And God uh, helped me there. That was risky. You say, well, that's pretty juvenile, but... eh." Then when I was uh, sixteen, before I turned, I turned seventeen down in Brazil, in the middle of the jungles, studying. And I had people tell me, "You're going to the Amazon by yourself? You know, wow, aren't you afraid? What about the piranha down there?" And I go, "Like wow, yeah, that is something. It's uh, maybe too dumb to realize the risk, but went, and it enriched and deepened my life to see the world around. And insofar as the piranha, I ended up water skiing on the Amazon." And uh, knowing their piranha down there helps keep you up. <laughs> but uh, risky, risky. You know, you could stay at home. Yeah, it's safer stay at home. I'll just curl up by the fireplace. Uh, some other things. Um, when I was in college, the economy was terrible, and I started a business. And I didn't know how that was going to turn out. It turned out to be the very best thing. God bless that over and over. And I made more money uh, working that, I had more fun being my own captain of the ship. And it was of God's grace. One step at a time led me as I was faithful in, in giving to Him and bearing witness to Him. God prospered and led me one after another and stretched me, grew me up. Then I got married. Faithy said yes. It scares me sometimes. She said she saw me as a freshman. We were in the same class, same college. And she looked across the room. And she got the strangest feeling, I'm going to marry him. Now, is that weird? It's like, you need weird music now. Ooh. I think sometimes women are in this dimension that uh, I know that the, the men are like, oh, I'm just getting a hamburger, you know. <laughs> and women are like, they're, they're, I don't know. It's just, I'm still trying to figure that, out, figure that one out. But we got married in, in Philadelphia, and it's been 32 years. And, uh, and then we had children. Yeah, we just said, wow, look at this. Sarah, David, and Jonathan, that's still a great mystery to me. If you figure that one out, explain to me after. But uh, children came, and uh, yeah, it's a risk. You go like, wow, you know, what uh, what happens if, you know, and you hear all the horror stories, and, and yet they've turned out to be some of the greatest joy of our life. In fact, Faith and I pray that our greatest ministry is done through our children as it's multiplied over. And then grandchildren. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. And Sarah's going to have another one? I can't wait. Anyway, December. And then we left for seminary. I already told you about that. That was risky business. And then I did some uh, postgraduate work, my doctoral work at, uh, in Philadelphia. I was scared out of my mind. I thought, for sure, I can't make it. We can't. At uh, you know, a program they only let eight students in. First day, I heard the lecture. There are eight of you. One of you're going to fail. You one of you'll bomb out. These are the numbers. He was a business uh, doctor. said, One of you're going to bomb out. One of you, uh, you'll graduate years, years later, and the other six, yeah, you'll make it. I thought. Well, I know which one I am. <laughs> and God carried carried me through on that. Wow. And then the church planning in Indiana—that's scary business. Amen, Tim. Is anybody going to show up? You know, how many? <laughs> far have you guys, Faith and I know what that is. We pray. Lord, is anyone coming today? Why would they come? Why would they hear me? Why would they show up? I wouldn't show up. You know, <laughs> and God brings them in. You're here. Bless your heart. And we're not paying people to show up, are we, Dave? That's, <laughs> But God does that. He grows. He go like venture out. You'd be amazed what I'm gonna do, and it is amazing. It is amazing. Even that Bev, she's laughing back. She was stuck in the parking lot for Sunday. She came. We canceled church with the snow, and she comes in, and she's like, "Can't you have the service? I'm here first time. I want to see what's going on." I said, "Thank you, Bev. We love your spirit. We'll give you a push out of the parking lot." We he pushed her out. <laughs> I wrote a book. One day someone said, would I begin to try and write a book? I thought, oh, no one will want to read it. Why would I even try and do that? And then here at Grace. And then at times we've gone to Israel. I remember our first time went to Israel. Oh, that's very dangerous over there. Why would you go over there? Dangerous. People blow you up. And we found out the worst part of the whole trip was if we can survive New York City. (laughs) You think I'm kidding? That's far worse than, than anything we ever saw over in the Holy Lands. I mean, that's risky, just to get to JFK and get out of here safely. And then we started a radio ministry back when, Celebration Break. Would anybody listen to it? Who in the world would listen to that? You know, you go like, wow, that's risky. And, and knowing God's ministry, we go like, would anybody watch that? I still get letters and notes. That's just amazing to me. And we could just stay home, pack it in. It's dangerous out there. Why do anything? Let's just wait to die. psalmist says, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare. If you've got breath in your heart, God wants to use you. You're an ambassador for Christ. Go for it. He's given you gifts and abilities and skills. and, And your vocation is to use that in the work that God has given. And while you do that, you'll serve Christ and be a blessing. That's what he's saying to you. That's how we live life. In this world that is filled with uncertainty. Well, quickly before we're done, just lessons for life. Number one. First one, engage life with gusto today. Engage it. Don't disengage. It's like the old clutch, right? The standard. Tra- engage it. Live it to its fullest. Tomorrow, it's all going to be over. We'll carry out. We'll sing a song. We'll go have lunch. That's the way it is, isn't it? Stephen, you're laughing, right? That's it. Live today. Come on. Get in the game. Number two, the doing, that's our work and that's our activity. The doing is ours. Whatever it is God's put in your heart. But the results, they belong to God. He's the harvester. He'll bring about the results that he intends for his purpose. And whatever it is that uh, God may lead you. So go for it. Number three, life is risky business, filled with uncertainties. So live boldly, confidently, like kids. We trust Him. We have to grow up and be like kids. God said it, and that settled it. Live boldly. Go for it. Number four, God is sovereign. Never forget. He's in control of all things, he is. So rest. You're not in charge. Isn't that neat to know? Dads, we often carry a big mantle. We've we got the responsibility of our wives. We love that. Our children, grandchildren, all the rest. A lot lays on our shoulders. and Rightfully so. But let's realize that ultimately and finally, God's in control. Isn't that great to rest? Lord, I give it to you. It's your mantle. Let me do my part, but at the end of the day, it's not a really big part. But use it. But you're in charge, and I'm resting. And finally, without Jesus, number five, as your Savior, I remind you, your life is empty. You're not even on the great adventure yet. It's empty. It's meaningless. You can come to saving faith today. A simple prayer of faith. If I can ever help you with that. I'm here to help. Faith is here. Others are. Anything we can do. Lord Jesus... I'm a sinner. Be merciful unto me and save me. Wow. Well, how do we live life in an uncertain world? It's iffy. It's unpredictable. With gusto. Let's go for it, shall we?